I'm supposed to speak now, aren't I, Brother Darrell? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, first off, let me tell you all again how humbled I am and thankful that the church will support support us and uh, not only financially but in your prayers for this trip uh, and continue to do so. And secondly, if you've ever been on a trip with your pastor, you know it's an adventure. You know, it doesn't matter if you go to Dean's and back. It's an adventure, okay? <laughs> uh, just let me give you a quick rundown of our trip. Uh, we, uh, we, we, did, we did go into a new area this time. We went in through Liberia, and, and that was a good experience. Uh, there were some pros and cons to it. You know, we... we uh, we had some reservation about crossing the borders, but uh, we managed to get through those borders. It did take a little bit longer. The roads were, uh, man, uh, most of the roads were like Highway 59 out here uh, till we got across the border. <laughs> Once you cross the border, let's see, Stephen, I think you've got some. Yep, yep, it got pretty rough from, uh, from Ganta up to, to Zaraquari. Uh, it's right at the end of rainy season, and so those those roads were 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 pretty tough. But it was it was still a much shorter trip because we could travel travel it in one day instead of having those two long days, just one long day of travel, which was a blessing. Now at the border crossings, um, you know we have to when we get over there in America, we set goals and times and 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 man, we want to make things happen. And when they don't happen, you know, according to the way we want them to go, then we get a little antsy. Uh, and I won't call any names. Who gets antsy on these trips? <laughs> uh, but I want to tell you, your prayers were answered because as we went through those borders and nearly every checkpoint that we went through, they had multiple, multiple checkpoints this time. Uh, uh, we were delayed some. We were questioned some. But they worked out. They just worked out. Uh, continued to follow through. Uh, when we got to Liberia, we have a new excellent contact there, as Brother Darrell mentioned a while ago, uh, Pastor Arthur. He, uh, I don't want to get too bogged down, but let me tell you just a smidgen about Pastor Arthur, give you a background. Uh, he was... He basically was raised by a Southern Baptist missionary, so he is very founded. They have a congregation of, was about 400? Between three and 500, I know that's, that's but, and they have a school there, uh, and that the kids were, I mean, being taught uh, educational-wise and religious-wise, and just doing a fantastic work. And they really had a heart for missions and the people and, and so supportive. I can't tell you how supportive they were of us. And he sent uh, one of his men, Joseph, was our driver. And, and Joseph, uh, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit, Joseph, being, being an African, was such an asset because... You know, when, when we go and we talk to those people, just, just like y'all, when you have someone from your community that actually lives with you, that can speak to you and know exactly what goes on in your, your day-to-day life, it means so much more to you. Uh, and he, he was, uh, 
he spoke the gospel. And I mean, he, he communicated his salvation and, and his conversion and his life. And his testimony was something. And uh, he did that continually through all the villages. And you could tell it really resonated with, with, with the folks over there. Uh, uh, but that's Joseph. Uh, Swallow has a new baby. He and his wife, Mama Key, are doing well. Uh, Swallow is steadily growing. And here's another place that Joseph, uh, if nothing else, us going through Liberia this time was a godsend because Joseph and Swallow could communicate and he could mentor uh, Swallow about things he was going through, you know, just, just there in, in the cultural difference and even being a Christian in a Muslim nation. And they made some contact, and so now Swallow has someone else to contact there, there in Africa. Um, um, yep, that's the... We, uh, so I Swallow and them, and also Swallow, I want y'all to, we went to church one Sunday there. God, uh, we had a few mechanical errors, and I, I, Satan was working on us that morning, not wanting to go to, go to church, but, uh, we finally made it, got the car started and went, and, uh, uh, Pastor David, and I don't have a picture of him, uh, we got away without getting that, we did of the church service, but, uh, uh, he, he, y'all, this is one specific prayer request I have for y'all, that Swallow would make a connection with Pastor David. And, and they did while we were there, but that he would begin to attend, to, to attend church there. Uh, Pastor David wants to reach all tribes. He's opened the doors of the church up. And it's in a language that Swalu can understand and then several of the other people there in Bela. And it's so important at this time that we, uh, that Swalu get involved in a church to have that as we do every Sunday. I don't know about y'all, but when I, when I walk into this church, I can't tell you what that does for me to know that I have fellow Christians that support me. And when you're the only one in an area... Uh, that can be very demanding. Uh, but uh, uh, this is the commissioner of Musadu, and there's two villages that that they don't allow stories to be told anymore. It's Musadu and Yala. And as we, uh, they are very staunch Muslim uh, villages, and he's always been very supportive. He, he's the one that came by one day when we were eating lunch and wanted to know what we were doing in the area. And so we always go by and greet him and see him. But he, uh, uh, as we sit there, there's two French teachers that are Christians that teach in his village. And uh, one of them's Protestant and one of them's Catholic. But as we taught, he, he told us that he was all for freedom of religion. And uh, so before we left... I just told you that we're not supposed to, they don't share stories. Well, before we left, a large crowd had gathered around, and uh, we were able to share Paul's conversion before we, uh, before we got out of the village. So, uh, it, and he's always wanting us to come back. Uh, now, I know Brother Darrell named off a bunch of the villages that we had gone to previously, 
and, and let me just give you a quick rundown of what what we did in those villages. Uh, this this trip was on Paul's conversion. It was on his conversion when he was on the road to Damascus, and and how God struck him down because he was headed to persecute Christians. And I'll tell you, um, this really resonated with them. They could, I could look at them and tell that because they undergo a lot of persecution. And not only did Paul, when, when God struck Paul down, that means that, and then when he, he told Ananias to go see Paul. And, and to me, that also uh, registered with them because, and I could look in their faces when, when we got to that part of the story because Ananias was like, no, God, I don't want to go over there. He's been killing Christians. You know, don't send me over there. And he said, no, he's my chosen one. He's the one that I'm going to send out. And Ananias, Ananias went. Uh, and in all those villages, and Paul gave his life and went out. Now, he was persecuted even afterwards for following Christ. But he made a huge difference. And people couldn't believe that he was converted. And just like in these villages, uh, those folks, no matter what they've done, and, and I'm not going to go into detail, but I can't tell you the interaction and the questions that came. And uh, out of all of these villages, there was only one that's a pretty new one. But the rest of them had some pretty deep conversations, very deep conversations. Uh, but they, you could tell they were getting it. Uh, they were led through the sinner's prayer. And, and even though we don't have baptisms at this point, I'm confident that we have some believers in those villages. I'm confident there's, uh, and God, wor- there was one night in, in uh, Sog Benino, I guess one of the most touching nights, that it began to rain, and you would think it would all be over. It usually does. It scatters. And uh, we, uh, uh, they gathered up in a hut, and there was about 12 or 15 men in a in a hut that's not oh, not much bigger than the top part of this stage f- till about midnight and and uh they were in some in-depth in-depth christian uh conversation and teaching uh so it was real real blessing that night uh, as a whole again i want to thank you for for your support and and uh, really do think it was a successful trip. There was there was uh, some uh, not mishaps. I mean, nothing's a mishap, but there were some difficulties along the way. But God was faithful every time to answer prayers and and keep us going and keep us moving right along. And uh, there were. I'm going to mention those three again. I want to thank you again for your support, your prayers, and, and financial support. And uh, there's there's three things that I'd really like to ask for you to pray for the for the people there. First off is to pray that that God would raise up someone. I believe He is raising up Swallow 
but that God would raise up someone that would be there on a consistent basis week in and week out for those people just like we have here. And, and I know we go over two or three months, but someone of their of their people that could be there for them, that could train them and grow them, uh, and that and then that the believers that are there in those villages would continue to grow in strength. Uh, they've got microchips and cars, but that they would grow. Uh, and then, lastly, but not least, that 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 swallow would get involved in that local church and become a uh, and grow in that. And again. Thank y'all again for for uh, for your support. Won't you pray before you finish? If you yep. pray, if y'all would let me pray. God, I come to you, and uh, I'm always humbled that, that I'm so thankful that you give your son for us, and I'm so humbled that you will allow us to be a part of your work, God. That uh, we don't have to sit on the sideline and and watch everything go by, but that you'll support us. And, and, uh, and God, thank you for, thank you for allowing us to go. Thank you for this church and these people and, uh, what they mean to us. And father, I pray that for, for the Kenyanki people, God, you tell us, and they know that, that, uh, you won't come back until everyone's heard and, and they're hearing the word and, and, God, I could see on their faces when we told them that, that it it registered. And Father, I pray that you would raise up someone in their people. I'm confident, God, that there's believers there now, just from their conversation. God, I pray that you would raise someone up there that that would, with boldness and understanding, that would spread your word throughout their people. God, I know we it's not on our time, it's on yours. And uh God again. <laughs> I'm so humbled that I have it so easy here. But it's not and Father, I just pray that uh you would bless him. Bless Brother Daryl as he brings this message. I love you. And I can't tell you thank you enough for your wonderful son. And it's all in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. One of the days we were traveling down the road with Brother Joseph, who is a Christian brother from Liberia. And uh, it was one of those points in the trip that uh, we were facing a lot of difficulties. The roads were bad. We were going through multiple checkpoints and we were being hassled. And... um, uh, I could tell it was kind of wearing on him as a driver. And I kind of laughed at some point and I said, Brother Joseph, I said, God has not called us to an easy thing. He has called us to a hard thing. And uh, he affirmed that. I had been talking to him and he knew what we had done. And we had, you know, we had traveled from the United States and been on three airplanes. And then we had driven with his pastor at night and finally made it to Ganta that morning. And then we had crossed the border with all those challenges and we'd gone down the road and going through mud pits and checkpoints and being hassled by police and all of that and I was describing to him in the midst of the trip of 
that uh, where we go in, in Guinea, it's, uh, it's 99% Muslim. And so it's different where he lives in Liberia. That's a high percentage of, of Christians. And uh, we were talking about all these things. And so it was kind of a running joke or something I would say. I, I would say, Brother Joseph, God has called us to a hard thing. But I said, if it was an easy thing, then somebody else would have done it already. <laughs> the reason we're doing it is because nobody else wants to do it. Therefore, Brother Joseph, we will do the hard thing. And we will keep pressing through. And obviously, he affirmed that as a Christian brother. It occurs to me in the midst of all of this that uh, it requires effort. But we do it because we are obedient to God's call. And in the end, we experience joy. It's like so many other things in life that require effort, but we do it to be obedient to God. And in the end, we experience joy. And in fact, if, I, if we come to the book of Philippians and what Paul says in that beautiful letter to his beloved fellow Christians, Paul in prison in the midst of adverse circumstances, and 16 times in the book he talks about joy. What I realized today, and, and all, all of these scriptures that we've looked at in Philippians, we've, we've asked the question, what is the secret to joy? What is the secret in Paul's life to joy? And this morning, the simple truth is this, that joy comes through obedience, and obedience requires effort. That's the simple truth today the secret to joy is that joy comes through obedience and obedience requires effort in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 um, I appreciate brother Cody preaching for me last week and uh, I listened to his sermon and he spoke to you about humility primarily last Sunday from Philippians 2 1 through through 11. Uh, Paul picks up from there in verse 12 and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain yes and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all. For this reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Even though these are just kind of, a, this is just a few verses in Philippians, three of the 16 times that Paul talks about joy are in these verses. The word that I couldn't get past in verse 12 was the word obeyed. 
So Paul says, and he starts in verse 12, and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Um, I have a feeling that the word obey has negative connotations to us as a word. I have a feeling for me just to say obey, it's not one of those cheery, happy, sunshiny kind of words in the English language. It has a certain negative connotation, obey. But I would contend today without obedience there is no joy in the end. There has to be obedience. Many times in the Christian church today we talk about grace and all of these things, the love of God, and we forget to say that no, when Christ saved me, He called me to a life of obedience. Whatever it is that God ask of me and calls me and commands me the secret to my life is obedience to God and so he says to the Philippians and he uses that term of endearment in verse 12 when he says therefore my beloved these were the people that he was I guess he was closer to the Philippian church than any of the other churches as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence. Paul says you've always obeyed. Whether I've been there or I haven't been there. I want you to get the sense though of those, those verses. The implication is not only have you always obeyed, but the implied command and challenge is that you will always obey. In fact, I, I believe in the verses that we've read, Paul says that you need to obey all the way to the end. Obedience needs to be the characteristic of the Christian life. In fact, it is the key to experiencing God when we are obedient to whatever it is that He has called us to. Two examples. And you saw this if you were here last Sunday in Brother Cody's sermon in the life of Jesus. I mean, if we're just setting out examples for obedience, Paul says in Philippians 2, 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus is our primary example of obedience. But throughout the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, Paul is the other example of of obedience and it's kind of implied throughout but Paul why is he where he is why is he in prison why is he persecuted for, for the faith because he was obedient to what it was that God called him to do to take the gospel into all the world we, we told that story over and over this this last week about the conversion of Paul and, and Ananias says well, I don't want to go and tell him and, and Paul and God and speaking to Ananias says, go, for he is a chosen messenger of mine to take this message to, to the people that are not the Jews and even to kings. He's a chosen messenger. Paul is in prison because he was obedient. And so the two primary examples for the Philippians is, no, Jesus has been obedient. Paul has been obedient. In fact, in those last two verses, he kind of expresses this in verse 17. He says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. 
Paul says, as an expression of his obedience, that his very life is being poured out. Uh, in the ancient world, not only in the Jewish world, but also in the pagan world, there would be a cup of wine that could be poured out as a sacrifice on an altar to a god. And Paul says, my life is like that offering. That it, He says this also in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. My life is being poured out. I am giving my life in obedience to what God has called me to do. But, but Paul says the end result of that, of, the, of a life of obedience, that in the end he experienced joy. He says the same thing. He applies it to them in verse 18 when he says, For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let your life be characterized by obedience. I believe the secret to obedience is to do it despite our feelings or our circumstances. Quite honestly... If I'm just characterizing uh, American Christianity, we are probably obedient to those things that we feel like doing and the circumstances line up and it's kind of something, well, that, that, that works. That's not really obedience. That's just kind of doing what we wanted to do anyhow. It just happened to line up particularly with what God wanted at that time. No, where the rubber meets the road for obedience is when I don't feel like it. And the circumstances don't really seem to be in favor of taking this course of action. No, that's obedience. That is a life of sacrifice back to God. And that's what they, they saw in the life of Jesus. And they saw in the life of Paul. Now there is a, there is a parallel verse, at least in my own understanding, from verse 12. So verse 12 he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and Paul, the point being that joy comes through obedience. Look with me at verse 16. He says, Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I know I haven't gone all the way through verse 12 and haven't gone all the way through verse 16, but that first part, I believe Paul goes back to this thought when he says you have always obeyed. When he says, Holding fast the word of life, Hold on to the word that has given you life. Don't let go. Don't relent. To me, to always obey and hold fast the word of life, they are, the, they are parallel thoughts. But when he says hold fast the word of life in verse 16, I believe what Paul is talking about, it's not just... Uh, uh, belief in a doctrine. Hold fast the word of life. Whatever is true in, in, that is communicated in God's word, I want you to hold fast to the truth of that. It is more than just belief. There must be action. It, it's not that I assent to a doctrine and said, oh, this is Christian truth. I'm holding fast to the word of life. It is not just belief, but it is also action. I believe it, it, it is what James said when he says, not only be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And I think many times we believe in our minds the Word of truth and life, 
But that's not really obedience. The obedience comes in action. Being doers of the word and not hearers. And I believe in verse 16 there's also this parallel thought. And I believe it's implied in verse 12 when he says, Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I want to hold fast in what I believe and how I live until the very end. Until the day that I stand before Christ in the judgment. Let my life be lived in such a way that I am holding fast to the word of life to the very end. I believe Paul is, is, even implies that in verse 12 when he says as you have always obeyed not in my presence only but now much more in my absence as you have always obeyed uh, I believe there is an implied sense might you obey all the way to the end hmm. joy comes through obedience I want to ask you this morning is there a point of disobedience in your life? Is there something, that, I mean, if you're just being honest, and obviously God sees our heart, God knows your heart, and so whatever God brought to your mind just now, God knows already. Is there a point of disobedience in your life? Is there something that God has spoken to you about that you have not done whatever it is that God told you to do or not to do? I don't know. Is there a point of disobedience in your life? The truth is, until you and I deal with those points of disobedience in our life, We cannot experience the joy that Christ has for us. That point of disobedience will always be something that will steal your joy. We must, and I guess that was what, partly on my heart, even when I, I talked to us at the welcome, because if we come Sunday after Sunday and there are things points of disobedience as I'm describing them this morning that are between us and God and we're not willing to deal with those things we can't move on with God the, the Christian life is to be characterized as a life of obedience and that means whatever it is that God speaks to me about I say yes Lord if that's something between another person if that's something in my life that's not pleasing to God I cannot move on and my contention this morning the reason that Paul could experience joy at the end because he could legitimately say before God, God, whatever it is that you've asked me to do, I've done to the best of my ability. Not that I, Paul would not say that he has arrived and he's going to say that later in the book of Philippians. He's not perfect in any means, but he's saying that to the Philippians. He's implying it that you always will need to obey. I don't know. The Christian life is really that simple in many respects. Whatever it is that God sets before us, we have to deal with. And if we don't deal with those things, 
We cannot move on with joy. And it will steal our joy. The joy killer this morning, it's simply disobedience. You know what I thought about? Was that him trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. The chorus says, trust and obey, for there's no other way hmm, to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Hmm. Verse 12, Paul is teaching the Philippians that joy comes through obedience. And so he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but, but now much more in my absence. Here's our second little phrase. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm kind of a simple guy and I read all this scripture and I condensed it down to these two thoughts. That joy comes through obedience. Obedience requires effort or work. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, it will require effort on your part. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me tell you, I want to tell you what this verse means. I want to tell you what it does not mean. There are many people who would take this verse and say, it teaches a works-based salvation, that Jesus may save me, but then I have to work in order to maintain or to achieve my salvation. That's not what Paul is saying at all. If Paul wanted to say that, he would say, work for your salvation. He does not say, work for your own salvation. He says, work out your own salvation. I would take the marriage analogy as kind of the analogy here when you get married yeah that, that's the happy day that's that's the good times and I don't know how long your honeymoon lasted ours lasted about 15 minutes no I, that was, that was bad. that's bad I love you but I, I shouldn't have said that from the pulpit and we're going down to eat lunch today I'm sure uh, now uh, now oh you can say I do and you're married Oh, we're we about to find out what kind of marriage we got now because we're going to have to work through some things, aren't we? Don't sit there all holified on me and act like you... No, no. You don't, don't act like... Don't act like it's just me. No, it's like I would say to somebody, y'all going to have to work this out. Y'all going to have to work this out. So you have the state of getting married, but the reality is, is there's going to be issues and there's going to be things that you're going to have to work out. You are married. So we've been saved... And what Paul is saying, now you're going to have to work it out. Because Jesus didn't finish with you. There's something He wants to do in His life. In your life, there are changes that Jesus wants to make in your life. Work out your salvation. You've been saved. Now work out the implications, the reality of that. 
Because there's some things that Jesus wants to do between the time we are saved and the time He takes us to glory. Work out your own salvation. It's not that we are working for our salvation because it's not even us that's working. In verse 13 He says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It's not what Paul is talking about at all. Work for your salvation. He's saying work out your salvation. God saved you. He's made you one of His children. You have a state of being in a right relationship with God. And now God is in the midst of working in you to change you into the person that He wants you to be. That process is a day-by-day process that deal with real issues. One of the issues that he's dealing with in the book of Philippians is the issue of unity. And so in verse 14, he goes back to this. We're going to have to talk about it one of these Sundays. It's coming. He keeps alluding to it. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Then in verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The change that Jesus makes in our life is a day-by-day change in which it's this simple. We study, we pray, we encounter God, we're with Him and God shows us things. And we have to deal with those things. And if we will deal with those things day by day, Jesus will change us into the lights that are shining in the midst of a dark world. We will be a representative of Christ. Just because we got saved and our sins were forgiven and washed away and He put us in a right standing with us, we're still messed up people that are sinners that Jesus needs to change. This is what He does day by day. And don't think somehow somehow when Jesus came into your life, just boom, you became an instant saint and you just all glorified, holified, and chicken fried, or I don't know what else you are. That's just not the way it is. There's a change that Jesus wants to make in our life, and it happens day by day. And you know what occurs to me? It takes effort. That's why he uses the word work. Work out your salvation. Actually, that word in the original is the word that we get energy from. It's gonna, that's why, but I use the word effort. Obedience requires effort. Don't assume that it's going to be easy. There's going to be work involved. In verse 16, he says, holding fast, to the word of, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. And this is the parallel to verse 12 when he says, work out your own salvation. He says, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now, the, the phrase in vain, the word vain means empty. And what Paul is saying, may it be that that your lives have been so changed, not that you've just been saved, but you've been, you've been changed. And that, that change will be evident even till the day of, of Christ, to the very end. That I have not run. If I were putting it in the vernacular of today, it would, it would be expressed by this. I have not run for nothing or labored 
for nothing. I came and I preached the gospel and Jesus saved you, but there wasn't a change in your life. You weren't making an impact on your world. Jesus wasn't changing you. You know why? Because people get stuck at a point of disobedience and they can't go on with Christ until they deal with that thing or multiple things. Paul says that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I think it's interesting. The reason I say it parallels the work is because he uses, he uses the words run and labored. Labor means labor. means strenuous effort. If you are a runner, it is equivalent to running. Running and labor, Brother Shane, are the same things. Or the word work. When I go out in the morning to run, I'm going to do work. Obedience will always require effort. I ask you this morning, are you willing to put forth the effort for Jesus to change you? Are you willing to put forth the effort for Jesus to change you day by day? Uh, this fall... I'm training for another marathon. Um, I have a running schedule. My goal is that on December 31st, I will run 26.2 miles in one setting. It will take the old preacher five hours. I'm just telling you, it's going to take me five hours. I have a running schedule. I started back in August, although I was running through the summer. Uh, when you total up the miles on that running schedule, what you realize is that I will run 500 miles in preparation for the one-day 26.2 miles. I run on Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday. Uh, one of the sacrifices I make for Jesus in going to Africa is in the midst of my training schedule, I'm off for nine days. And when you're 54 years old, it's not good to be off for nine days because it's like you're starting all over. But by the grace of God, I ran my 10 yesterday morning. Um, every morning I get up to run, Brother Shiloh, I don't feel like it. I'm looking for an excuse not to run. I'm looking for an excuse to quit. Not only before I start, but while I'm running. There are mornings I'm praying for dogs to bite me. <laughs> because then I would have a reason to call an ambulance. Somebody call 911. I've been bitten by a dog. I cannot run. But you can kick dogs and stick your leg out. They will not bite you. You have to keep running. But you know the reality is, and so... Uh, Mondays and Thursdays are relatively short days. Saturday's a long day for me. Wednesday is the next longest day. And so next week, tomorrow, I will run four miles. And I believe I have five, five miles on Wednesday, four miles on Thursday, and 11 next Saturday. Uh, I want you to know that the weather's not always perfect. And every morning, I don't feel like it. 
that I'm scheduled to run, but you know what I do? I make myself run. And if I, generally if I can get out there, I do pretty well. But part of the training to run 26.2 on one setting is going through those miles. And what you do on the schedule is you begin to build miles over the course of the 16 weeks so that at the end you're... I mean, my last long run will be 22 miles. And there's times that I've run the 22. And I know if you're a runner, you're thinking, I just think I'm going to run the last 4.2 and call it quits. Be done with it. But you don't do that. Uh, so your miles build. But part of what you're doing is you're not just training your body. You're training your mind to tell your body to keep running whether you feel like it or not. Whether it's raining, the wind is blowing, it's hot, it's humid. You just train your mind. I will continue to run. And you know what I discovered? Is if I will just stick to the program and the schedule, marathon day is just celebration day. I'm not saying it's not hard. <laughs> I don't mean to overstate it. I've done the work. It's just starting running and five hours later I get to cross the finish line. And there's a great sense of satisfaction and joy at the finish line. But you know, you can't just wake up one morning. I can't wake up December 31st and go, you know what? You know what I ought to do today? I ought to go run 26.2. And just tell Miss Amy, I'm, I'm going to go out and run 26.2. Let me tell you, it ain't going to happen. Because it was all those days of preparation when I didn't feel like it and that I didn't want to and the weather wasn't conducive for it that I made myself. The joy at the end only comes when you've put forth the effort and the work and the labor all the days that preceded that and then joy comes in the end. Do you realize that the Christian life is like that? That joy comes through obedience. Obedience requires effort. And Jesus changing me doesn't happen overnight. It happens day by day as I'm obedient and I do the things that He's asked me to do so that I train my mind that whenever Christ asks me to do something, even when I don't feel like it or the circumstances aren't conducive, I just do it out of obedience to Him. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. My simple truth this morning from Paul is that joy comes through obedience. Obedience requires effort. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Brother Shane's going to come and lead us. I ask you this morning, is there a point of disobedience? Is there something that Christ has called of you as one of His children that you haven't submitted to, you haven't dealt with, you haven't confessed, you haven't changed, you haven't admitted? I want you to know that point of disobedience is killing your joy. Paul was teaching the Philippians his joy is only experienced in the end when there is obedience day by day and that obedience will always require effort and it seems like
just can't do it because the cost is too great. But I'm telling you, it's stealing your joy. And if you'll only give in, you'll give it to Christ. And you'll live a life day by day of obedience, whatever it is He asks of you. And you'll do it day by day. In the end, there will be indescribable joy. The altar is open this morning. I'll be at the front. Yeah.